Welcome to Engaging Culture, a podcast presented by Bridgeway Christian Church. I'm Brian Kiley. Today, Pastor Lance Hahn and I are joined by our special guest, Pastor Brian Hopper. The three of us will be talking about the biggest challenges and opportunities facing the church today. This is a unique time in the history of our country and the history of the world. And with that comes unique opportunities to share the gospel and unique challenges that make a life of faith difficult. All three of us will be sharing our perspectives on some of the most important opportunities and challenges that we need to be paying attention to on this episode of Engaging Culture. Well, hello. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of the Engaging Culture Podcast, live from beautiful Roseville, California. It is absolutely stunning inside the studio. (laughs) It is so stunning inside the studio with the windows blacked out. Looking out over the scenic nothing. I'll bet it's a really nice day outside, though. Lance, how's it going? Excellent. I'm ready to go. I'm excited about this. Yeah, because we have uh, a special guest. Anytime that it's not just you and me alone in a room, (laughs) I feel much more comfortable. Oh, gosh. You and me both. So, uh, thankfully, we've got the one and only Pastor Brian Hopper here with us. Uh, How are you, Brian? I am doing well. We've got two Brian's, so um, unfortunate. That is unfortunate. He spells his name incorrectly, but that's all right. This is true. Uh, We still like him, and uh, so Brian. In case you haven't met him, he is our young adult pastor. uh, Hangs out with our young adults. Been doing that for how long has it been now? You've been, I mean, in the mix for a while, but on staff. I'll be on staff two years in December. Two years in December. So very excited. That is going by fast. So. Really glad to have uh, him with us today, and I'm excited about today's topic. It's We're talking opportunities and challenges facing the church today. And, and when we say church, we need to be clear, we're not talking about Bridgeway specifically. We're talking about the church, Christians yes. globally, Christians throughout the country. Uh, obviously, the issues that affect the church globally affect us as well. Um, but we just thought it would be interesting to, to have a conversation with the three of us about what do we see as challenges because every time in history every particular place has its own challenges but then also what do we see as real opportunities uh in this time and place that we find ourselves uh, and and our hope is that for those of you that are listeners that it would be encouraging to you in terms of as you're thinking about what do i pay attention to in, in my own life so that's kind of where we're headed this morning lance why don't we start out with just talking through some challenges that we face in in our world today as as you see them maybe give us one i know you've got a list give us one challenge that we face as as, as christians today and we can talk through kind of that a little bit more and, and how we can respond to it yeah for sure i you know once again uh telling everybody it's a big c church right i think there's a big difference between the big c church and the little c little c church the big c is the body at large the body of all all time wide and i mean we're all part of one family of god there's not a bunch of different families of god so whether or not we talk about uh the the fathers of the faith back in the, you know 2000 years ago or whether or not we're talking about you know somebody that lives um over in africa right now we're all one family so if you are a true believer you're part of that big c church and that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today little c church is the local church kind of like what are we individual unique expressions doing among the body you know there's different body parts right the hands and all that stuff so so who is doing this piece who's doing that piece that would be the little c church so all right having said all of that here is my first challenge and it's interesting because i don't know why our why it's so much easier to find something negative than it is to find something positive <laughs> but but it was almost like i began to spill out with all kinds of things <laughs> until we got to the opportunities one and i was like ooh got to put in some thought into this but anyway first challenge 
I don't believe that we are different enough in the right ways. As a church, as a whole, it seems we are always tending to be different because of what we're against, right? So everybody knows, oh, you're a Christian, you are, and the first thing they say is not compassionate. The first thing they say is not loving. The first thing they say is, oh, you are against the LGBT community, or you are a Republican if you happen to be Caucasian, or you are, and then there's all these labels, but it usually has to do with something divisive. It has to do with something that is negative or something we're against. In the same way, we tend to be different because of odd cultural reasons. So for example, <laughs> oh, you're a Christian because you don't know how to dress. Things like, you know, you know, <laughs> say what I'm saying like there's all kinds of weird things that we have or oh you talk funny or you use your own swear words that you guys just made up or <laughs> you know you use Christianese we have these odd cultural things that set us apart but I don't think that was the intention of the Holy Spirit I think we're supposed to be set apart based on Galatians 5:22, right that the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So here's my deal. My deal is we should be attractive for the right reasons and repellent for the right reasons. That Jesus was attractive and repellent all at the same time, but I feel like we're not attractive and repellent for the same reasons. Uh, we're not the ones going, man, we're in incredible persecution because we're standing up for the right things. It's like we're in fights for the wrong things. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So for me, that is probably the biggest challenge is we don't reflect the heart of Christianity the way that we should. What are your thoughts yeah. on that, guys? So we're different, but not in the right way. Not in a compelling way. Brian, what, what do you think? Yeah, um, I think that that's probably one of the biggest things. It, it translates to a lack of authenticity when you talk to people, particularly young people, millennials, kind of that whole group. There's a, a, a overwhelming sense of hypocrisy. Church people say one thing, but they don't do it. They don't live that way. That comes out in those arguments. That comes out in those political positions. But I think what you're talking about, Pastor, is the core of the person Yeah, is not different because they're a Christian. Right. We were talking about this offline before, um, and I had a, a pretty crazy testimony when I came to faith, but when I gave my life to Jesus, I gave my life to Jesus. Right, right. My schedule changed. The, you know, my entertainment habits changed. My The way I approached people changed, and I wanted to reflect Jesus to the people I came in contact with. And so I think there's a big difference there. Um, you're talking about love and joy and peace, all the fruits of the Holy Spirit, kindness, goodness, oh my gosh, patience, whether in the parking lot or in the workplace or anywhere. You know, we're some of the most quick to complain, quick to post, uh, go on Twitter rants about things that we disagree with, political or whatever. And that that's not reflecting the Spirit of God inside of a person transforming. And so I think that's one of the biggest things is we don't walk what we talk. No. We don't walk around, transform different people, bringing love and light. By and large, I'm sure, I mean, there are many good people who do, but I just remember when I was a new Christian and I would be around people, older men of God who would talk to me and pray with me, and I could feel peace coming off of them. It's like when you talk with Pastor Parnell, right? But you just, <laughs> seriously though, yeah, and you good. know this person has been with Jesus. This person has been praying, this person has been reading, and it's not about an amount of time that they spend doing it, but it's just they're trying to transform into the image of Jesus every day. They're being renewed in their mind by the word, all these things. Yeah. And, and they just, it feels different talking to them. I don't know how else to explain it. It's the Holy Spirit inside of them. Yeah. They, they, they are different 
for the right reasons. For the right reasons, yeah. yeah. And yeah. and even just remember, you know, I want to hear you, Pastor Brian, what what your thoughts are on this. But remember, uh, statistically, we're not any different either. Right. I mean, it's the same divorce rates, yeah. the same you know abuse rates. It's the same, you know. And you're saying, whoa, 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 doesn't it make a difference in the right areas? We should be less prone to divorce because our selflessness is higher. We should be less prone to divorce because our patience level is higher. But it, these are not the things that we're allowing to be transformed, so we tend to have the same problems, which is intriguing, um, and not allowing the Lord to have as much control. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, I, I think that in, in a lot of different ways— in a lot of different places in society, and the church is one of them, it is it is way easier to kind of put off a veneer of of righteousness, if you will, right? Uh, and that is much it's observable, it's measurable, mm-hmm. and so those are the things that we say are very important. So, for example, you think about language. Um, I'm not a fan of profanity. I don't really curse. I don't recommend that other people curse. However, you can say awful things to a person without cursing. Right. You know, I feel like I'm in conversations every other week trying to tell people don't be mean over email. <laughs> uh, and and there's no cursing going on, but there's incredibly hurtful things being being said. But but we view the but the idea of like, oh my gosh, you're a Christian, you said a said a curse word. Like again, I'm not recommending right. that, but as if that is somehow worse than having this heart that feels the need to kind of vomit on other people. Mm-hmm. And is uncharitable, and is angry, and is mean, and and can again say these hurtful things without necessarily crossing that line. You know, uh, the pressure to dress a certain way at church, which I feel like is is declined somewhat, at least in our context, but right. still exists. That there is this kind of external pressure to. Well, you know, it's interesting. I say external pressure to conform to different standards, but I'm actually not sure that's true. I think it's kind of actually a made-up internal pressure Mm -hmm. that we think I need to appear a certain way. I need to appear that I have my act together. I need to appear. I need to post, uh, you know, flowery images with Bible verses on them on Facebook to show that. I love Jesus. Am I saying it's wrong to post flowery Bible verse images? No. And in fact, I don't even mean to make me, I don't even mean to make fun of it. But if like the next thing you're posting is uh, just saying awful things about somebody you happen to disagree with, like, first of all, the world sees that and like is not, you know, people are smart. But, but I think that again, we focus on the observable because that's easy. That can be projected. That can be kind of manufactured. But the fact of the matter is, when we are focusing on what's observable and not paying attention to our hearts and that, and there's a difference there that creates tension. Right. And at the end of the day, who I am presenting myself to be, if that is at odds with who I know myself to be in my heart, that is going to create all sorts of problems. And if I'm focused on say, for example, appearing that my wife and I are getting along great when we show up at church, but not paying attention to my wife on a Thursday at 7 Mm -hmm. PM when we're just living our life, like that's going to blow up eventually. Right. And for whatever reason, we evaluate one another based on the veneer. So we pay attention to the veneer and we're not focused on the real. So because of that, we're not we're, we're the same underneath the veneer as everybody else. We just have this projected. Oh, look, I have my life together when like don't look behind the curtain because the house is burning down kind of thing. Yeah. And it's like I don't know how that got divorced from each other. The idea that you would go. I really, really love the Lord, but it's completely cool for me to explode on my children every time. Yeah. Like, at what point did that not become a, wow, I should probably feel convicted about that? Or maybe the idea of, um, 
why I, I am consistently gossiping, but it doesn't even bother me because that's not that has nothing to do with Christianity. So uh, anyway, it's it's the idea that somehow we've gotten things wrong and and priorities wrong. So anyway, I'll yeah. I'll stop with mine. And I think I I just want to briefly touch on what do we do about that. I think to me, this is where, I mean, the resources of our faith are so profound because the whole concept of grace makes imperfection safe. Totally. Because I'm not going to deal with whatever's going on underneath the surface if I don't feel safe to talk about it. Yep. And the reality of grace, if we really lean into that, I mean, we sing about it, we talk about it, Mm -hmm. but really believe it, then we can be honest about who we are and, and seek change. Right. Seek to be transformed. So I think that's that's important. Brian, what do you think? Yeah, transparency is a big part of that community. I think discipleship. I think what can unfortunately happen is people get into just a routine and they show up to church because they're supposed to. They mm-hmm. post the picture because that you know that's what they want to show. And it's become just a another part of identity. I'm a I'm this age, I'm this race, I have this many, you know, two point five children in my white picket fence, and this <laughs> is what I do, and this is who I am, and church is a box I check. And so Christianity is part of something I agree with mentally. It is an identity that I, 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 you know, it's like putting on a jersey for a team. I am part of the Christian team, but it hasn't translated to the core. And I think that there's only a couple of things that are going to do that. Number one is an encounter with God. Like actually God talks to you. God taps you on the shoulder about, hey, don't be so rude to your wife. Hey, don't blow up on your children. Uh, The other times is going to be discipleship and community. Mm -hmm. They're blind spots because we can't see them. And so we need other people yeah. in our life. As I tell you know, my wife sometimes, I don't see it that way. And she goes, that's because it's a blind spot. <laughs> that's the so whole I, point. I don't see yeah. that. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so the idea of Christian community and church and kind of getting into, I think, where we're going to go as well, just even the some of the point and purpose of church yeah. is that if we actually have people speaking into our lives, those things would change versus I show up to church out of routine. I call myself a Christian, wear the jersey, and it's an identity thing. I identify as a Christian because I'm supposed to or because my family wants me to or because my parents did or or what have you versus I am in communication with a living God through his word, through prayer, through other people that results in being transformed more and more into his image. I don't know that the majority of the body of Christ lives that way, just mm-hmm. to be blunt and dire. I, I believe there's a lot of great things going on, but I yeah. don't know how many people, and I check myself, are living that way constantly of, mm-hmm. I want to be changed. I want to be different, whether it's through other people, whether it's through a podcast or a sermon, whether it's through God himself, through his word or in prayer, yeah. revealing to me what I need to do and live differently to grow and be more like him and love people like him. I, I don't even think that's on some people's radar, that like that's what part of the point of this is. And yeah. it's just more of a, this is somewhere I go, just like I go to the movies or I, you know, I hit up Studio Movie Grill or I go to the Kings game, mm-hmm. a few people. And, you know, <laughs> like, you know, there's a lot of people there last night. But, um, you know, it's just somewhere they go. It's a cultural thing. It's an identity thing versus a, I have a living, loving relationship with God who seeks me to transform more into his image and love his kids. Yeah. I, I don't know how much that's happening. Yeah. And as a side note, I am totally against the young millennial girl who spends more time setting up that Instagram picture with a coffee <laughs> on the distress table and her journal with the leaflet in the right place and then takes the, the, with the right filter than she spends actually reading the words. So I'm oh, totally, if you hear that, I am against those what's posts. What's the John Christ video? That, Christ, exactly. Christian girl Instagram. Exactly. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> more time setting it up than actually in the Go Bible. Go look that yeah. up. It's, yeah. a, it's a funny one. And, anyway. and we're going to get into this in a moment, but let me just make one more comment. Here's what, what was tripping me out is that 
to wear the jersey looks like this as opposed to wearing the jersey looks like this. So why wouldn't the normal Christian jersey look like being put in prison uh, like the Apostle Paul? Like why is why is the jersey representing this type of look as opposed to this type of look? There's some jerseys you don't want to wear because it's it's hardcore, right? And and shouldn't the Christian jersey represent a different lifestyle? But mm-hmm. somehow it's been made like this. So if you want to play the game, mm-hmm. you can. Why is that the game and something else isn't the game? I yeah. guess that's my question. Yeah. Well, and I, I think it's going to be very interesting to kind of see the, the direction different things in Western culture go in the next five years or so because the jer- jerseys are easy to wear to keep that metaphor going uh, if it's dominant culturally. Yes. You wear the jer- you know, a great sports team, any great sports team. It doesn't matter, you know, if the Kings are ever good, this will happen in Sacramento. Any great sports team attracts bandwagon fans who don't really care when the team is bad, but are into the team when they're good. That's fine. I've got teams I'm a bandwagon fan of. Um, When something is dominant, it's easy to just sort of tag along. Christianity, however, you know, improperly (laughs) has been practiced in different ways, was kind of the dominant cultural narrative in the United States for a very long time. And that's really not the case anymore. We're pretty solidly post-Christian culturally in terms of Christianity being the dominant influence. And what's interesting to me about that is, is it a challenge? In, In some ways, yes. But in a lot of ways, I see it as an opportunity because when the jersey is not fashionable anymore, you really have to think about it before you put it on. I agree. You know, so so as a pastor, as somebody who's, you know, seeking to raise kids who love the Lord, who's, you know, trying to influence people positively. The fact that our society is post-Christian is actually a little bit helpful to me because it, it creates a distinctiveness to say, OK, we're not just like Christian is not just synonymous with American anymore. Uh, in the same way that in Europe, hundreds of years ago, it was just sort of everybody's a Christian kind of thing. And like, that's obviously not the case anymore. But for us to be able to say there's a distinctiveness to who we are as Christ followers, and we're defined by a particular set of values, we're defined by a particular set of practices, we're defined by these concepts of grace and redemption and mercy, and it's not just a cultural thing. My hope is that as that continues, as society in many ways becomes more post-Christian, that it's an opportunity for Christ followers to really be distinct and to live out the gospel in, in I think, some profound ways that are harder to do in a more like Christen, Christendom-centric environment. No, I think you're right. I, I, what, what freaks me out is that the ones that hang on the longest are the the hardcore Bible thumpers, and, <laughs> and they're the ones still wearing the jersey. And, and I would like for a lot of us to kind of revamp the branding of the jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, it, let's let's go to somebody else's. That was that was yeah, my that number was one. one. Yours. Brian, why don't you give us one? Um, I'm going to go with community. And that's obviously, again, filtered through the young adult millennial lens. But I think it, mm-hmm. it goes farther than that. I think one of the biggest uh, challenges for the church is creating authentic community. Mm-hmm. And you can't make people necessarily enjoy the same interests. You can't, you know, people are in different seasons of life. There's kind of natural community things that happen or a shared passion or value. And so in certain sense, it's not the responsibility of the church to to make everyone connect with everyone. But I do believe it's the responsibility of the church to provide avenues of community that different people can then connect with each other based on those things. Um that's the biggest thing that people feel is is if they come into a church setting, big C, little C, and you can have great music, you can have an inspiring message, you, you can be a lot of people or a few people, 
But if they leave and nobody knows who they are, nobody knows about that problem in the marriage, nobody knows about the struggle with the kid, nobody is there to offer support or just prayer or sometimes just a shoulder to cry on, eventually they'll leave because there will be a better place with better lights and better musicians and mm-hmm. better speaking, or they can find it online. Yeah. So that, that's the distinctive that has to set the church apart is here is a community of other people like you in different as well, but they're like you and that they met God, like God lives inside of them yeah. and they're trying to live this life now for him. And it's difficult and there are challenges and there are struggles. And so when you even go back to the early church in the book of Acts, that's the idea. They were in one accord. They lived together. They were in the temple and they were in the house breaking yeah. bread. So it wasn't just a church. It was the church outside of the four walls. And I know we yeah. all believe that. I think that's the biggest challenge though. And I'd be curious to know from your guys' perspective why that and it could be lack of effort on the person who comes in because they're shy and new. It could be it's not visible enough, but it's there and they don't know. But what is it that in this generation and more recently seems to disconnect people from community? Because that's what I hear over and over and over and over. And we even have a group, a crop of new young adults. Why are you here? It's not because of my messages. And it's not because of our <laughs> band, although they're awesome if they're listening. The number one answer was community. They yeah. felt welcomed. They felt warm. Even in other church settings where it was a little more trendy or a little more hip, they could come and be themselves. And then, you know, we would go out to eat together afterwards. It, there's no spiritual value that I can find for me smashing a burger with a young adult after service. Nothing spiritual really happens there. Every once in a while, we pray for them. But just the idea that you would sit down and you would eat with me and I could talk to you about what's going on in my life. Yeah. And you were there to listen outside of when the sermon and the worship and the church thing happened. Yeah. That community piece, and I don't know, I would love to, to hear from well, you Well, I think that's a profound spiritual practice, yeah. you know, just sitting and I sharing agree. life with one another. Yeah. Now, Lance, as you were talking, Brian, it, it reminded me, Lance, as you've shared a little bit with me about some of the stuff you're experiencing in your doctoral program about kind of the importance of community and the importance of making friends and the importance of all of that when people come to church. Could you maybe share a little bit about what you've learned in terms of the importance of that? Because I think it speaks to what Brian is bringing up uh, in terms of the need for community in, in church. Yeah, I, I think that um, what Pastor Brian's referring to is I'm in a doctoral program uh, through Talbot, and it's in church growth, right? So it's the idea of what makes a healthy church grow. And it is always about expanding the big C, right? So not the little C. It's not transference. It's somebody coming into an encounter with God, getting plugged into a church. Well, the bottom line is no matter where you slice it, all the data goes back to the same place. People are craving community and they'll only stay if they have friendships. Yeah. And, and it just keeps, I mean, you can cross-check it everywhere, but that is really the heart. And that's why, you know, the Bible talks about things like a family and it talks about uh, phrases like we're all friends together and, and speak truthfully with one another and share your heart with one another and hold each other accountable. These are all community languages yeah. um, or community phrases. And so... Um, the depth that people today, and this is something I would like to hear from you, because I know that you have community on your list as well as yeah. being a, a significant opportunity mm-hmm. uh, in a detached world. And I would love to know a little bit more about the longing, I yeah. think, that our, that our culture creates. Yeah. But uh, let me just add one piece into this. Mm-hmm. Along with our community, I would just like to add the caveat we have or should have the solution to loneliness. Mm-hmm. So community, it, sometimes we think about it in terms of more fun. Mm-hmm. I, I think of loneliness as being a corner of that where there's darkness and somebody all by themselves. Yeah. The way that I believe and the way that I grew up, I grew up where Jesus, unlike where you got saved later, 
I grew up where I, I just breathed Jesus in the air as yeah. a baby. And so when I, I've never been alone my entire life. When I'm all alone in a room, it's me, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father, and however many angels decided to show up that day. Yeah. I've always been in a crowd of belonging. And, and so knowing that that's out there and getting that communicated, that is a solution to a critical need that I think is ever increasing. Yeah, uh, that's certainly true. And there is so much research that is showing us, and a lot of it's coming out of the UK that is they're kind of more on the forefront of this than, than research in the, in the States, but it's becoming it's being studied more in the States is just the, the medical impact of isolation that, that isolation is not just, I feel lonely, not just, I'm a little bit bummed out today, but it is truly a medical problem that is becoming extremely expensive. Uh, that, and it's certainly a problem with senior adults, but it's becoming more and more a problem with younger people as well. And you can be isolated. Like you can have a family unit that's isolated. Certainly it means a single person. It's, it's a little more clear to see how isolation can happen, but it can happen even, even for families. And, that is a huge, huge, huge problem with some doctors saying it's going to become a more expensive problem than obesity is now, which is hard to believe. And I think that's something I've shared from our stage before. So, and, and this is just, I'm not a sociologist. I'm not, there's not a bunch of research behind this. This is just my armchair observations is that because we live in a world where we can have little quick kind of dopamine hits of connection, I can read about you on Facebook or whatever the case may be because of that, it, 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 Basically, it's kind of junk food that fills me up so I don't go get the real meal of being with another human being. And then with that, and this is another challenge as well, because of we're able to be kind of connected through social media, and I'm not against social media. I'm on social media. I enjoy social media. I was taking selfies with my boys last night, and we're posting pictures to Instagram, having a good time. Um, because we're on social media, we learn things about each other that we don't have the kind of relational capital to support. So you learn about that person's political views that you find crazy and you're learning that about them and you've maybe had two conversations and added them on Facebook. It's very different than if you and your neighbor spend a year getting to know each other and then you find out that you are passionately different politically. You're like, oh, well, he's just my friend who believes differently or he's my crazy blah, blah, blah friend. And we might tease each other and whatever, but there's friendship, there's relationship and we're going to be okay, right? Like we're going to be able to, to handle that. But because we're able to have all this access to each other's thoughts without relationship, it, it creates this sense of, oh, well, I can't talk to them anymore. Oh, well, I can't be friends with them anymore. And not just in the church, but I think in society, that's becoming a problem. Now, how can the church help with that? The church can be a, commu a diverse community of people that says, you know what? We are different. We would divide in some different ways. We vote differently. We spend our time recreationally differently. I always joke that I just have conversations with the most interesting people at church, like, you know, an hour long conversation with a geology major about rocks. I'm like, I would never pursue that conversation, but man, was it interesting at a, you know, get together once. The church can be a place where we say we're united in Christ, we're different in all these different ways, and we can have real community. We're not just settling for the junk food of interacting online. We're not just settling for that. For that, We're having the real meal of getting together in a world that is doing that less and less. And as we do that, there is a real opportunity to demonstrate the reality of the gospel that I think is going to be compelling for people. 
let me let me just back you up on this on this kind of stuff. Um, so y'all know I'm I'm dealing with a situation with my dad, right? So yeah. my dad um, has brain cancer, and the prognosis is not awesome, right? And so we as kids are sorting out and trying to figure out housing options, and it's really really difficult to have in home care. Like if you don't have a family member that can live there all the time, uh, so. Uh, my stepmom, she's struggling in a couple other areas and things like that in terms of memory and things. So it's not like they can just live together. They would love to just live together and hang out and and just be go their own way, sure. even if even if it's end of life stuff with my pop. But here's the deal. So for example, if you do 24 hours a day in home care, it's eighteen thousand dollars a month. That's li- that's like not even a thing. Like you can't really do that. <laughs> so you start looking at it and you go, okay, so we have to have some family, some nursing, some of this, some of that in order to try to make it because they desperately want to be at home. And so I was talking with one of the, the rehab ladies and she said, she said, I, I think that your dad probably needs to be in a facility. She said, now I'll just tell you, it's always best to be at home. If they go to a facility and the facility we're talking about is like a resort. It is. It looks like a Disneyland hotel uh, in the sense that like it's just so everything's modern and it's awesome. She said, because if they go into a facility, they will decline immediately. And this wow. is that physical health yep. thing you were talking about. Yep. It's not it's not theoretical. It's not how do they feel? It's you decline. Yep. It always goes that way. At home, they're more vibrant. There's something about community. The same idea where even Kaiser, I remember, was doing these commercials and they were talking about how laugh- laughter makes you live longer. And the idea mm-hmm. is this is stress relief, right? There's something that's feeding your soul. The Bible talks about it like if you have a broken spirit, it crushes the bones, meaning you have a physical reaction to an emotional experience, yeah. right? So it's not like the Bible hasn't talked about it. And the key thing about the social media thing you were mentioning, that's info info transfer. Yeah. When you do info transfer and you don't have a supportive relationship, then that's when it can't sustain it. So right. anyway, I just wanted to back up everything you had just said. Yeah. So, and it, it, again... It's a challenge, but it's an opportunity, and it's it's a real opportunity. And you know, Brian, to to your point about you know, you talk about church being the sermons and the music and all of that. Like that's important, and those are formative practices. But the fact of the matter is, I can, if I really want to, I can get those things in my living room, right? But it's when we're together that there's a, there's a kind of an extra power in them that that I can't get just isolated engaging online engaging driving in my car or whatever the case may be so. but that's a challenge for us as leaders is how do you create that that's not you don't just leave your service as those couple items yeah. right yeah. how do you create being together because right, right now at Bridgeway you can come in and be completely isolated and leave yeah. isolated yeah. so how do we I mean these are all challenges that we're facing every day absolutely Brian in in your mind and you can share this from observing young adults you can share this from kind of your own perspective as um, just in, in your you and your family's life what what do you see and it, we've talked about isolation. What do you see as some of the challenges to community? Um, again, whether we're talking young adults or we're talking kind of you and your family, what do you see as the challenges that, that we need to try to overcome? I'm going to go with busyness and commitment. Um, busyness being... Correct. <laughs> yeah, <No. laughs> ding, ding, ding. Um, 
people have loaded their lives up these days with so much. And I don't know what it is if it's uh, just that there's more available. I think yes. Yeah. I think that there is a, a societal pressure to be involved in more things. I think yes. Yeah. The social media aspect, maybe that's only 10% of it, but seeing what everyone else does with their kids. So I'm going to go dad, yep. you know, dad of three boys, mid-30s here. Uh, the soccer practice, the yep. piano recitals, the we're part of this club and that club. And then we were over here and and there's almost this this pressure to be engaged in so many things that then the the church kind of takes a it, it, not your Christianity hopefully but it, but maybe in some cases as well but being a part of a life giving church and giving life to that church serving yeah. hosting a group in your home yeah. praying for people just being involved in other people's lives that takes a back seat to here's all these other activities I have to do yeah. and here's all these things that I'm supposed to with the you know, really firm air quotes. I'm supposed <laughs> to be a part of these things. Yeah. I'm supposed to be doing these things. And so it kind of knocks down the the, the church thing. Um, there's a lot that could be said about that, but just the businesses of our society, the the expectation and demand on people to keep up with what everyone else is doing. The keeping up with the Joneses has been around for a long time. But as to your point, you didn't have to follow them on social media and see where the Joneses were every day <laughs> and all the things that they're doing. And now your kids are 10 and they've got the silly phone and they want to be where you know Johnny yeah. Jones is too. Uh, so you can look at the Jones and say, oh, cool, they're having a good time. Am I having a good time doing whatever I'm doing? Right. Or am I am I living right. life accordance with my values? If right. I am, then great. Yeah. Hey, I can celebrate them without being jealous. True. <laughs> you, know? so. you can. Yeah. My question is how many people are? Yeah. No. And I, oh, I, I don't know that there are. No question. Um, so just the overall busyness yeah. of life and commitment to so many things, it's almost like you know being spread so thin that mm -hmm. you can't do anything well, but you're doing a lot of things yeah. running around crazy. Yeah. Um, the other one would be the commitment thing. And what I mean by that is people not wanting to commit, yeah. people not wanting to be committed or, or locked down or tied down. That one I will filter, particularly through, you know, millennials, young adults and younger yeah. of, I don't want to say that I'm a Christian. I mean, I, I, I like the God thing. I, I like how I feel when I go to church, or I really like how I feel when we sit around and eat, but mm -hmm. I'm not even going to say that I necessarily identify with this or that particular religion, religion. or even if they're saved now, take it down a level. I'm not going to say that I identify with this or that church. Like, don't put that label on me. I go here because I like the teaching, but then I go over here the next week because I like the worship. And then I go over here the next week because I have some friends there. And so community is a part of it. And it's just more of a, hey, I want to be wherever I want to be when I want to be. The big joke is whenever, you know, you put out a Facebook event nowadays and you try to track it, 90%, and I'm looking at you, the young adults and people <laughs> that we put these events for, they will hit interested so it stays in their feed. And they can be aware of it and it'll keep reminding them on their calendar, but they will not put going because something else better might pop up. Mm -hmm. Someone might call them one hour before the event and say, hey, we're going to go to this concert or whatever. And then they're- Got a better bam, offer for They you. bail. Yeah. And so that's just, that's something that I see is this, I don't want to be tied down. I don't want to be yeah. committed to, an, you know, they picture it, and this could be an interesting kind of pop back for discussion. They don't want to be tied to an organization. I do believe people want to be part of an organism, something that's living and growing and organic and life changes happening. But if they perceive church as program, event, organization, particularly the young crowd, they don't want to be a part of that because yeah. that's their parents' religion. That's just you go to the Wednesday night class, you go to the Sunday morning service, and then maybe there's a potluck in there somewhere. And, and that's just routine versus they want to be a part of, and this probably gets into opportunities, society change, yeah. life change. Causes things actually happening. If that's happening, then they're in. Yeah. But if it's just another event, eh? Well, I, I might come. 
Well, and I think that gets to the issue of kind of the the veneer. The veneer is, well, we go to church on Sunday and Wednesdays because that's just what we do. Right. Like, I, I, just, I don't know about you guys. I just don't want to live my life a way where I do stuff just because that's what I do. I want to, I want to know, I want to be intentional. I want to know why I do things. And when we, when we recognize the beauty of the gospel, when we recognize the value of following Jesus, when we recognize the value of participation in the local church, then it's not just doing stuff just to do it. It's not just doing stuff so we can feel like good people. It's doing stuff because there's value. It's doing stuff because to pour myself out in commitment to my brothers and sisters in Christ by using my gifts in the local church, like there's value in that. It's not just something I do for the veneer. It's something I do because my heart is, I'm giving myself goosebumps about this yeah, i really feel strongly on. about this you That's know what I'm saying? Awesome. Like, like to be able to do that is valuable and and i think there is a, a lot of truth to kind of different generations we need to sort of shake off the veneer a little bit so we can see the real beauty go ahead and so just to ping back on that i don't know that that's been clearly communicated what has been coming through is these things we're talking about political stuff what we're against you know they're not seeing that that part some of that's communication from leadership some of that is peers encouraging and bringing people along hey no this is what the christian life is really like but getting off of the veneer taking the jersey off kind of a deal getting back to authentic christianity i think jesus wins every time i think yeah. if you meet jesus and if he it's changed, legit jesus right, yeah that wins yeah. People, gold. that and that's by the way what people want like one of the opportunities I was reading, um, Dan Ryland is a, is a leadership consultant guy. He's a, one of John Maxwell's understudies and does a bunch of articles and blogs for pastors and leaders and stuff. And one of the things he talked about was that the current culture needs more real answers than ever because of anxiety, because yeah. of depression, because of uncertainty. You know, I was talking with someone um, who does some, some things in, in public schools across the country. And just this idea now, the kids who are in junior high and high school that are coming up, that are going to be the next generation, they have not known a world without terrorism. They have not known a world without school shootings. They've not known a world without, you know, some of the, the, these racial issues are now, you know, back up in the forefront. And it's even reflected in our songs. Now we say... Mm-hmm you make me brave, mm-hmm. or I'm not a slave to fear. Mm, when yeah. I got saved, you'd be not a slave to sin, right? Break yeah. every chain. Nope. Sure. But, but the message has changed because of what the society is dealing with. And now it's just about, Lord, I need you to make me brave just to get through my day. Yeah. Lord, I need you to take off the, the slavery to fear. And so we have this generation that is, is so fearful. They're so worried. They're so you know unsure because everything in life, parents, they could be divorced, you know, school, yeah. it could be shot up. Everything is movable. And, and there's yeah. nothing to put anchor on. There's no trust in, like everything is, it's all a sham. And the church too has been a part of this. We saw through the eighties and nineties and so on, you know, people, leaders are falling morally, the money's being embezzled, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so now the, the needs of the society are greater than ever. And so that's one of the opportunity points is yeah. that if they can get real Jesus who offers real hope, everything from the beginning, peace and patience and, and self-control and what they actually want and community, you know, not social, but real. Yeah. If that can happen, I think we could see massive change yeah. and massive revival. Yeah. But that's the culture we're living in. So that's yeah. the opportunity no, that's we have. But yeah. to actually do something about it. It's, it's so interesting to me how... It, even in sort of thinking up this episode, I thought, you know, okay, opportunities and challenges. And, and I thought of them pretty distinctly, but it, it, the more we're talking, you just realize like, no, actually they're very, very, very interwoven and they're related. Yeah. Lance, why don't you, let's uh, go on to something else. I know you, you got a list there, pick, pick something and we'll, we'll switch gears a little bit. Yeah. I want to, I want to jump to my number four here, which is all talk and no action. Yeah. Um, I feel like somehow the church, once again, what the Jersey stands for now is, 
that we're all up in our head. Everything is about thinking and talking. So we're going to talk a lot about social issues. We're going to think a lot of them. We're even going to have yucky feelings about them, right? Yeah. So, that, But we think that that is somehow is Christianity. Like, wow, I feel super sad about <clears throat> sex trafficking. That Now that makes me a Christian. And you go, well, at what point have we become all talk and no action? So for not just in social ones, right? Like social issues are a big deal. Like you go, well, I think we should do something about it. I think we should do something about it. But then you don't do anything. That is important, but that's not really what I'm talking about. What I mean is that Christ's ministry was action, not just talk. You can write the gospel of Mark and not just Matthew. And here's what that means. Matthew was a lot about what he said, yeah. Sermon on the Mount, stuff like that. We Christians kind of bake in that. Mm-hmm. The book of Mark is an action gospel. Yep. There's very little of what he said, and it's always what he did. I think we don't have any did. I think we have a lot of what he said. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's so frustrating to me is that uh, I love these. There's actually three of them in Scripture. I just picked one of them. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.20, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk but in power, like mm-hmm. do something. The very concept of discipleship is apprenticeship. Yeah. Apprenticeship means lifestyle duplication. First John 2, 6, whoever says he abides in Christ ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, once again, I'm a context guy. Context was obedience to commands, but the application can't just go one way. Uh, and we thought like Jesus thought. Okay, yeah, but he did stuff. Jesus healed, Jesus preached, Jesus was hands-on, Jesus cast demons, Jesus demonstrated the kingdom, Jesus was persecuted, Jesus prophesied, Jesus spent time with people. Everything in the book of Acts carries out the activity of Christianity as Jesus intended. And I don't believe today's Christianity has any activity to it. We're all thoughts and talk. So anyway, that's that's a big concern for me. That is a big... (laughs) A big concern, and and, and that, I almost gave you goosebumps on that one. Well, and and that to me, it gets back to the issue I think of of discipleship. But Brian, I want to let you jump in here and respond to what Lance had to say. I know that oh, this yeah. is a you passion know, point for oh, you, totally for sure. Chomping at the bit here, um, yeah. That that's that is the thing. That is the thing is when you read through the Bible and when you see any you know successful period of church history, it's because it went beyond head knowledge to life transformation, and it went yep. from one bucket to many buckets. Yep. You were so full and overflowing, not that you were perfect and not that your life didn't have issues and yep. so forth, because we always will till this side of heaven, yep. but you had spent time with the Lord, you'd spent time in the Word, you'd spent time in prayer, you were part of community. Like You just loved living for Jesus, and yep. then you wanted to bring as many people with you as possible, and then, by the way, not just get them saved, but disciple them, walk them through that process so that they don't just come into the church and then six months later they're gone yeah. because they were never mentored into the passions of the kingdom of God. Right. All of these, and people are going to ping off different things. Some people, their passion will be more worship or it'll be more prayer or it'll be more evangelism or missions or whatever because we all have different callings and giftings. But there is such a, a beautiful palette of what the kingdom of God is that they never get there 
because they don't have the action behind it. People are not bringing them to it and saying, right. now that you've, you've, you've kind of joined the club, right? These are all the things that this life is about. And here, let me show you some, or let, let me bring you to a men's group. And there's some other men that'll show you some, or, you know, let's get into small group or in our case, missional community. And let, let's do life with other people who are going the same way. And you can see how it works. I mean, and then you get into the spiritual side. Oh my gosh. Like, yeah, you're talking about laying hands on the sick and, and letting the Lord move if he wants. You're talking mm-hmm. about reaching out to people who look different than you. Who are living different than you and getting in their life? Yeah, um, it, yeah it's bringing social action. It's somehow our our Christianity and and so when I grew up, it really was all about devotionals and sin. So the positive side was you do these three activities: you worship, you read the Bible, and you pray. Yeah, that was it. Those were your actions. That was the whole lifestyle of Christianity. Yeah, there was no talk of casting demons and laying hands on unless you were in a charismatic stream, right? right? Yeah. But then it became all about what you don't do. So the only activity you ended up talking about was the activity you can't do. Mm -hmm. So that was sinful activity. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. So all activity conversations came into the negative. Yeah, no, that's certainly true. I, I love the phrase, Brian, that you just said. I wrote it down. The idea of being mentored into the passions Yeah. of... Of, of our faith. And, and when that's going on, I think that, again, our faith becomes about action. Whether you want to talk about the miracle of laying hands on somebody and seeing God move and, and heal them physically, or the miracle of, say, transformation in my own heart that causes me to go home and be a better husband and father, the, the, the miracle in my own heart that causes me to be generous, the miracle in my own heart that causes me to engage intentionally in loving my neighbor, that's when... Christianity becomes, in I think, attractive to the outside world because that's life as God intended it, that God has made us a particular way. And when we're living this out, I think that's attractive to people. So once again, there's the challenge, but with that, the opportunity to say, when we realize that actually the invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation into discipleship, it's an invitation to be formed more by Jesus than we are by anything else. And if we can really engage with that, that there are powerful benefits, not only to us personally, but powerful benefits in terms of our witness to society and, and everything else, right? No, I think that I think that's absolutely. Well, it goes back to that that phrase we used earlier. If it's legit Jesus, it's fascinating. Yeah, and I, and I think the world is dying literally for legit Jesus. Yeah. Um, but I think the church is also dying for legit Jesus. You understand mm, what I'm yeah. saying? Like, um, I, I know I am. You know, yeah. one of the things that, that I, I pray for every time, you know, before we all go out to preach, like Pastor Brian uh, Hopper is preaching here in, in a couple weeks, um, and you, Pastor Brian, um, Kylie, you, you preach quite a bit here. And so mm-hmm. whenever we preach, we have people come in and pray for us before our first service on Saturday and then our first service on Sunday. Yep. And I'm always praying for the same thing, which is more of the presence of God. I, I, I want him around. I want to be able to do the things and act in the ways that he did. I would love to go to the temple courts one day, and maybe one day you do have to turn over tables. Maybe one day you do get to heal the guy at the front. Yeah. Maybe one day, you know what I'm saying? Maybe one day you are persecuted. Maybe one day, but that, but the Christianity that is engaging and life-transforming and changing social action, and at the same time abiding in Christ and having 
quiet time that's deep with him and knowing him as your father, knowing him as the one that walks alongside. That type of Christianity to me is captivating. Yeah. And and I feel like it's been so watered down and we try to do it on what is the minimal amount I can do and still be a believer. Yeah. Uh that that the world goes, eh. Yeah. No, I think that's true. So so here here's something that I've been been marinating on for the last couple of weeks. And I think Brian, you and I may have talked about this and, and I at least mentioned it to you, Lance, is that uh there was this this incredible video uh that's made the rounds on YouTube with uh Chris Pratt, the actor. He got up, he got some award at the MTV movie and they call it something else now, MTV movie and movie something awards. awards. Yeah. Uh anyway, he gets up, shows you how in touch with all of this I am. He gets up and he, he receives an award and he gives Chris Pratt's nine rules for living or something like this. And it is fun. It is silly. It made me laugh. It gave me goosebumps. He talks about the Lord and it's just wonderful. The whole thing is great. And what I couldn't help but notice, and, and I get that this is okay. It's one room of, of young people. It's not all of society. It's one room of people. So I don't want to put too much emphasis on it, but it's a significant room with a lot of movers and shakers mm-hmm. in the room. It's so interesting to me that as people are responding to the different points he was making, he made points that are very much in line with uh, Christian theology, the idea that you have a soul. He tells people God loves you, like believe that that is, and God is for you, believe that that is true. He talked about learn to pray, it's good for you. And he talked about you're not perfect, but there's grace for you. And as that audience is responding, they're responding incredibly favorably to everything that he had to say about the Lord. And I just thought to myself, like, I mean, there's so much, I mean, it's so fashionable to criticize millennials and young people. Oh, they don't love God. Like we used to da, 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 da. Or like, Oh, you know, this society is going so anti-Christian and blah, blah. Like, are there pockets of that? Of course there are. Are there pockets of young people and old people who are going different directions? Of course there are. But like just watching that video, I couldn't help but think there is a real and honest spiritual hunger in the world today. Mm-hmm. And there is a hunger for that, which God provides that the God of Jesus Christ provides. And, and in that there's opportunity for us. So this whole idea of like, Oh, society is so anti-God and everything. And the, like, I just, that is a fashionable talking point to make people afraid and get people angry. But I think again, there's an opportunity for us to say, you know what? There's a lot that has been historically associated with Christianity that this generation is rejecting. And frankly, part of me is like, and praise God for it, but they're not rejecting Jesus. And there's opportunity for us there to say, you know what? A Christianity that looks like Jesus, a Christianity that is formed by Jesus more than by other things, that there is a generation of people that's hungering for that. And that's because God has placed eternity in their hearts. So I think we can be actually really hopeful as we look out into society and see real opportunities to, to impact people with legit Jesus, as you said, Lance. As uh, I went with my girls last night to Fallen Kingdom, and um, I would like to point out that Chris Pratt is the most significant dinosaur-fighting Christian <laughs> that I've ever seen. Um, he's extraordinary at it. So, Pastor Brian, do you have any thoughts? Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> yes, 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 and amen. Um, I, I would agree with that. I think that what what we've been talking about is what people are looking for. And you talk about young people with the Chris Pratt thing um, is that authentic Jesus, the authentic 
community, the authentic impact out into the world, the authentic inter- internal change, eternal internal, I guess it's both correct, yeah. uh, change. <laughs> and, and even more so than, you know, we talked about like gifts of the spirit. How about fruit of the spirit where we yeah. started? Amen. People who are actually peaceful, people who are actually yes. patient and they're kind and they're gentle and they're different than yeah. what they see around them and, and what they see in social media. Yeah. Um, that is attractive to people. It always will be because it's a life lived different. Mm-hmm. And then when they go, why? You go, well, it's Jesus. You go to Chris Pratt's point number nine of mm-hmm. this was all purchased by innocent blood being shed for you. Yeah. That message, that that is the message. That's the story. Yes. There's, and I've heard someone say that before. Every movie and every story and every book all boils down to that story. That's the story of human history. Yeah. And if you get there, then people will respond. I think um, – you know, yeah, are there pockets of, of disillusionment? Are there pockets of abandonment and so forth? Of course, there always has been. I well, think- we just highlighted that we are a post-Christian nation. Right. So yeah. there is change. Yeah. We, we're not we're not saying that's not really happening. Right. Yeah. But as a um, good friend of our church and of yours, Pastor Banning would say, anytime, and I've seen this in smaller scales, but anytime he gets in a room full of 10,000 young adults and, and teenagers and they're worshiping God and they're crying out and they're gathering together for that purpose – I don't think the generation is as lost as it seems to be. I think that, to your point, what's happening is God is re-racking the church. And he's getting rid of some of that, what I call the 1980s Dr. Dobson, McGee and Me (laughs) Christianity, which I grew up in McGee and Me and we still love it. But, um, you know, just the way that church was being done and the way that Christian people acted. And it's like, no, 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 no. God is bringing back the authenticity of a love for him. What did Jesus say? Two commandments and a love for people. That's it. And if we have love for him, real love for him, how could we not change and start to live with the Holy Spirit inside of us more peacefully, more kind, more open to others, more gently? And then if we love others, how would we not reach out no matter what their politics are, no matter what their race is, no matter what their background is? Because they're all people too. Mm -hmm. And God loves all those people. And by the way, he wants to love all those people through us. Yeah. No, that message good. wins all the time and I and I'll die on that hill. Yeah. Well, that's and great. that going back to the the positive opportunity and, and and just highlighting that authenticity in a world of fake and advertising. Like even um I you know like right now, the the big advertising is still the idea of you have to back it up. It has to be legit. Whatever you're selling yeah. has to be legit. That it used to be where you could flash and lead people astray and all that stuff. That era is gone. Mm-hmm. That now truth and advertising actually is a key point. If 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 you present it and you don't follow up. You're immediately marked out. Consumers have a voice and you'll get one star reviews. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> in a land of reviews, yeah. in a world of reviews that drive business, yeah. you have to be authentic. Yeah. And so um, I think we have the corner market on that. I think that because, and this also goes back to something that you said earlier, Pastor Brian, which was um, when you have Christianity right vulnerability is not as scary. Right. Like I, my identity is locked in Jesus. If, if someone else makes fun of me for having panic disorder, that doesn't kill me because I know who I am. Yeah. That if somebody makes fun of me because I messed up in my sermon, that doesn't end me because I know that I'm called by God and that I'm a fallible human being. Yep. You understand what I'm saying? That that when there's security, you can be authentic yep. because it doesn't ruin you. Yeah, no, that's... That's huge. And without that security, authenticity is, is dangerous and scary and, and everything else. Um, I want to talk about one other issue because I think it's important and uh, and there's a lot that can be kind of cast under this um, umbrella. But 
I think it's fair to say we live in a a society of kind of perpetual rage. I, I did not come up with that expression. I've heard it many places, but uh, it is fashionable to be angry. Uh, you look at the most popular uh, cable news. I put news in quotes, kind of the opinion shows that are on in prime time. The most popular ones are not people who are offering reasoned takes on what is happening in the world. They're stirring people up with rage. Uh, you look at popular radio shows, same thing, even good grief in the sports world. It's like fashionable to watch these shows where people, all they do is, you know, argue with each other. I I don't get it, but it's very, very fashionable. And it is, it is certainly the case that Christians have fallen into that. As I look at my social media feeds and everything, the, the, I mean, and granted, I know a disproportionately high number of Christian people, but a lot of what I see online, uh, is, kind of feeding into this perpetual rage cycle. Um, Lance, I, I don't think this is terribly controversial to say that I don't think that that's of the Lord. <laughs> um, why is it that that Christians especially, why is it that we're drawn that direction so much? Uh, so it, it comes from a distorted uh, foundational truth. The distorted foundational truth is that there is truth. There's a capital T. What that means is you can draw a line in the sand and say, this is right, this is wrong. The other thing is digging in and defending truth so that when someone would want to skew, you fight back. What happened is, is that we ended up highlighting heroes that like Martin Luther, he was a fighter. Yeah. Um, he got angry at what was going on with the Catholic Church, and so he brought reformation. Yeah. Um, you have a lot of that. When your heroes are all that, then all of a sudden it gets distorted, that they were doing it for right reasons. We end up pulling it and saying, well, the more mad I am, the more I must be heroic. The more angry I am, the more I must be abhorred by your sin. The more, you see what I'm saying? When, Mm -hmm. When the Bible says, love God, hate sin, suddenly we have transformed that into be angry about everything that's wrong. Yeah. And you come to find out that that's, there's a couple times Jesus got ticked off. Mm Mm-hmm. It was almost always the religious leaders yeah. that, that got him in that place. Yeah. The church today is completely the opposite. Is is it's uh, we get real? Uh, no, that's not true. I guess we're rage about everything. But <laughs> but my point is, is that we rage about a lot of things that are sin. And I saw Jesus entering into the woman at the well, and there was no rage. I saw him walking through the Samaritans, and there was no rage. Even when his buddies tried to get rage out. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? They're like, should we call down fire and burn them all alive? <laughs> and like, Jesus is like, second. would you knock it off? You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, because they were even bought into that. The Jewish yeah. culture was very much about rage. Yeah. It was very much about we're all oppressed. Everyone is terrible. And don't you hate everybody? We hate right. the Samaritans. We hate the Gentiles. We hate everybody. So... But I didn't see that in Christ. Yeah, he's like rolling and hanging with tax collectors and sinners, and he's he's loving people. And I didn't see a rage monster. Yeah. But do you see kind of how it's easy to get there when you live in a black and white world? There's an us versus them, and it's all about drawing a line in the sand and fighting, and everything right. is about fight. It's a war, you know. Yeah. And I, I get Paul used the example of us being soldiers for Christ, and that the, we fight the good fight. And the, you're absolutely right. But we only have three enemies, the world, Mm -hmm. the flesh, the devil. None of those are people. And yet we have constant rage Christian monsters attacking people. Yeah. Well, and and ultimately, I think that that comes down to an issue of discipleship and formation. 
Absolutely. Uh, that, it, that if we're discipled and we're formed by something other than Jesus, we are going to reflect that to the world. So, I mean, something that we've talked about in different places is just the reality that uh, too many Christians are discipled more by their political views than they are by Jesus. Now, part of the kind of the genius of that, if you're coming from, if you're a political person who wants to motivate Christians, is, is in a lot of cases what political sides have done, in, in our area it's the right, in other areas it's the left, is they have led people to believe that their side and Christianity are one and the same. And that is just patently false. I mean, just I, it's just not true. But when you believe that that's true, and then you're discipled in, in a political side, which it tends to be, which side are you on, one or the other, and then you associate your faith with that side, you take sort of the vengeance of politics, which is itself unhealthy, you kind of baptize it in this sort of spiritual language, and then what do you have? You have Christians who are discipled by their side, mm-hmm who can't be talked to about adjusting their viewpoints because in a world where it's black and white, you're black and the idea of being white is unacceptable. So I'm just going to dig in and defend black as to the death, you know, and that is unhelpful. And then what we have again is we have Christians who are not demonstrating peace, who are not demonstrating justice, but who in he- instead are uh, combative and angry and, and, kind of feeding into this perpetual rage. I mean, we talked about this before. I'm going to read this right now. There's a uh, a pastor by the name of Thabiti Anyuibe who is associated with the Gospel Coalition. He pastors a church in Washington, D.C. I mean, this is a guy who is uh, conservative theologically. I mean, I've read a lot of his stuff. And he wrote an article in the Washington Post that um, was critical of kind of evangelical endorsement of some of the president's behavior. And he's gotten, as you can imagine, lots of very polite emails saying, sir, I disagree with your opinion. No, they have not been polite emails at all. Very angry. And this is what he wrote on Twitter. This is fascinating. He said, a thought hit me this morning. I've debated Muslim apologists in the Middle East, some of whom think that I should be killed as a former Muslim, telling them Jesus is the only way and Islam is false worship. And I did not receive comments like some I received from fellow Christians over politics. It's striking that unbelieving people who think I have betrayed their God have been more hospitable and charitable to me than Christian people who think I have betrayed their politics. The incivility, not to be confused with sharp disagreement, reveals idolatry in different forms. In 10 years of travel and several public debates, not once has a Muslim audience resorted to name-calling or misrepresentation or slander, not once. Some professing Christians do it every time they read something they don't like about politics. Uh, and he goes on to say some more. And, and what is that? I think that's us giving in to the sort of perpetual rage monster and us kind of abandoning Christian conviction for the name of advancing a cause. And man, I, I mean, we, we talk about this. I'm, I'm not into sides, but I'm in, I'm real into issues and I'm going to be passionate about issues. But the idea that I would set aside Christian character for the sake of making a point, man, I struggle with that. And, and I think that again, in a, in a perpetual rage world, we have an opportunity to be people who tell the truth who are radically committed to telling the truth, no matter what side it supports, no matter what side looks good, and to be people who are charitable and kind, even in sharp disagreement, even in standing up for justice, even in caring for the oppressed, even even in kind of seeking to bring about change, we can go about it in a way that is in line with the values of the kingdom of God, not in this kind of perpetual rage of the world. I'm talking with my hands, which is dumb because this is a podcast, but whatever. I don't know. Brian, what do you think? Oh my gosh, so many things. Uh, yeah. 
First of all, the young adults don't even care about your politics. Yeah. Let me just drop that for yeah. anybody who's listening. They really don't. Yeah. Uh, I think I all the way back to episode two of this program, where we talked about unity in the body of Christ. That's right. That's and you're going to find that, you know, you, you know, myself, just to throw myself under the bus, I would pull positions from things that would be considered Democrat or liberal. And then I'll pull positions from things that would be conservative or, or Republican, whatever labels people put on it. Because they're, I'm not a conservative. I'm not a liberal. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm a Christian. Right. And and that's where people are trending. It's like yeah. what honors Amen. the heart of yep. God? What honors helping people and protecting people? So could you make the pro-life argument? Sure. Could you also make the argument, I'm just gonna drop some bombs, <laughs> that we shouldn't separate families when they're yeah. being separated? Yeah. yeah. Like so what does the Bible say yeah. about all of it versus this is my side, I am entrenched, and I will support this side to the detriment of truth and the reality of God. Uh yeah, that's where you you're losing young people and yeah. even educated smart people, frankly. Yeah. Um that's all going to go away. Like people yeah. are in terms of people who actually are going to continue advancing the kingdom of God, that junk has to die. Mm -hmm. it, it's no good. And people don't want to be a part of it. Um, I don't have the answer for it other than yeah. keep seeking Jesus. And when I come out on a Sunday morning, I might just wear my make America great again hat and my Colin Kaepernick <laughs> jersey and let people decide which part of me they want to be mad at. Pastor Brian and I have that oh, joke for boy. a while, but, but really, because, you know, because you just make everybody mad. Uh, I don't own either, but I support both. No, um, here's here's the thing. Um, I think it goes back to what Pastor Lance was talking about, and just this anger. The anger boils down to sides, and sides boils down to right or wrong. And if we're Christians, we're trying to say right or wrong because of sin. So it's all these layers of you're on the wrong side because you're wrong, because that's sin. So I'm right. So I'm going to dig in and I'm angry at you because you're on the wrong side because of sin, because you're belief. And they've equated all those things in their mind and therefore built up several layers between you and them. That is counter to Jesus, the woman at the well, the woman caught in, in, in the act of adultery in front of the temple, in front of the place of worship, in front of the religious leaders or the pastors, you know, modern day equivalent. Yeah. What is his response to her? Here's my hand. I do not condemn you. Yeah. Go and sin no more. And so he accepted her and received her and then helped her to change her life. But in front of them, he accepted her. And he went to the person in that lifestyle. And so I think the biggest answer to all of that, to the anger, to the rage, is to stop seeing people with an us in them and realize we're all us. Yeah. Or we're all them or whatever <laughs> word you want. Yeah. We are all sinners saved by grace. And it is very important for us to have dinner with people in our home who don't, I'm just going to go here, don't know Jesus. Don't live the way we do. Don't look the way we look. Yeah. If we don't do that, we're not being Jesus in this earth. That doesn't mean that's all the time you spend with people. That's all the community you have. But if we cannot sit with someone who's living a different lifestyle, if we cannot sit and with grace, not to to point that point out their business or live, you know, it's been two weeks since I've known you. Have you changed yet? You know that kind of like stop it. Like just open relationship and community with people who don't know Jesus yet. That's what we're supposed to be doing and not be yeah. shocked when they don't live like people who don't know Jesus <laughs> yeah. because they don't know Jesus. And I think Christians spend too much time with other Christians and mm -hmm. sit around reinforcing uh, bad ideas. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> but, but just this idea that that rage quotient would go way down if we first of all had a re-rack of our thinking. It's not us and them. We're all – we're supposed to be – uh, I like the Matrix. You guys remember the classic, Love classic, it. one of my favorites of all classic, time. Oh yep. boy, we're over time. Uh, film <laughs> the Matrix, but the people who were freed from the Matrix. This is super theological. 
they didn't view the people that were still in the matrix as their enemy. They were the other people to go get unplugged and yeah. find out the truth. And so they kept going back into the matrix to try to free people. They kept going back in to try to disrupt the system and bring people out because they saw everyone that was plugged in in the, in the film they're represented in those pods as people who needed to be woken up and set free. If the Christians would have that mentality that they're all just our brothers and sisters sleep and we would go in and try to rescue them versus argue about why is your pod that color? Why are you stuck in that pod? Well, because they're not free yet. Yeah. And we need some loving people to go and sit with them and go into their world, right? They went into the matrix and met them where they were and tried to bring them out. Yep. I don't well know. Said. I don't know how deep that was. It was well pretty said. bad, but no, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, opportunities and challenges. There are a lot of them. There are a lot of them we talked about today and there are a lot that we uh, didn't get to. I'm going to end with kind of a cheesy line that I say all the time that my wife makes fun of me for and that others make fun of me for. Ooh, I want to make well. fun of you for it. Ready? Ready? Get, and I, I say this when I discover new things. I've even mentioned this in a sermon before, but I, I, you know, I, this is honestly how I feel is I look around the world today and I say, wow, what a time to be alive. Like, I'm just, you know, I'm not going to live like the sky is falling. I'm not going to live like, oh man, things are so horrible. I'm just not, I'm not going to live like, oh man, what if only I, I, I am so grateful to be a lot, to be alive right now, to be a part of this kind of season in all in kind of eternal history, and there are so many opportunities for us out there. So my hope is for for us, the three of us. My hope is for all of us who call Bridgeway home, all of us who listen to this podcast, that we would look into, the, we would see opportunities behind challenges and seek to represent Jesus uh, in the places where God takes us. Amen. Amen. All right, Brian Hopper, thank you, sir, for being on the show today. Lance, thank you, but. You're here all the time, so amen. But you won't be here next time because you'll be on vacation. That is I don't correct. Know what we're gonna do without you? It is. Gonna, you probably want to skip that episode, but definitely join us in August. <laughs> so we'll have an episode here in two weeks. Thanks for listening. A big thank you to our audio engineer Lucian Hughes and video director Brennan Stewart. Great job as always, guys. Leave us a review if you like the show. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to Engaging Culture, a podcast by Bridgeway Christian Church. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. Music is used under the Creative Commons license and is provided by Dexter Britton.